At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is the Yanks Go Yard podcast with Adam Weinrib and Thomas Carinante. Welcome to the Yanks Go Yard podcast. I'm Adam Weiner, alongside Thomas Carinante. Do we got a bullpen? Looks like we got a bullpen. We had a show planned today about how the Yankees' bullpen options were dwindling, and boom, this morning they trade for Caleb Ferguson, recently of the Los Angeles Dodgers. That means that the Yankees looked at their bullpen, said Victor Gonzalez, ex-Dodger, is the only lefty. I don't know if I trust that. Sketchy medicals, regression since 2020. Why don't we just go out there and get the other Dodgers lefty? The Yankees now have the Dodgers left-handers from the beginning of the offseason in their bullpen. Ferguson seems to be a surer thing than Gonzalez, uh, especially based on the last two seasons of output. 2022, he was excellent. Last year, slight step back. Great job limiting hard contact. Good job getting the balls on the ground. We will talk about that, the people left on the market, any more bullpen moves the Yankees can make. But most importantly, what this one means because we had a lot of wild speculation, but it's probably over. They probably just got their bullpen guy, and, and getting him from the left side makes more sense than paying a, a good deal of money for some of the available righties or reuniting with Wandy Peralta on a four-year crazy deal with mad opt-outs. Caleb Ferguson also can walk at the end of the year. So can the entire Yankees roster, pretty much. That's not an accident. Uh, are there random contributors lurking below the surface in the bullpen? I suspect there are. There always are. We'll talk through a couple of those guys, too. Recent Yankees minor league deals you might not have noticed. Plus, rumor has it they're looking to bolster their bench with a veteran. And why are they sabotaging Jonathan Loisega with their latest plan? Does Caleb Ferguson help there? Thanks for joining us live on YouTube Monday, Thursday, 2 o'clock Eastern. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please drop us a five-star review if you wouldn't mind. If you have a question for us, let us know. You can find us on Twitter, uh, formerly known as Twitter, currently known as X. Mm, no. Welcome to the show. You have a special offer for the viewers and the listeners. I certainly do, and it is Twitter. It is not X. X isn't even a thing. I don't even understand what it means. Um, and then what are you going to call tweets? X's? Nothing bums me out more than when a legitimate news article is like, somebody shared this on the platform X, formerly known as Twitter. Stop calling yeah. it that. Just don't call it that. People call yeah. it Twitter. Yeah, I just don't know what a tweet would be. Um, I like tweets. Had a good had a good ring to it. I still like it. But the offer is here. DraftKings is back. Um, we got the Super Bowl right around the corner six days from now. Everything else is in full swing betting. NBA, NHL, college basketball, women's college basketball, whatever you want to do, you can do it. And DraftKings has a fantastic sign-up bonus for new users, and we're helping you out. Use the code YanksGoYard at sign-up. You place a $5 first bet on anything, and you will instantly claim $200 in bonus bets. You will also be rewarded with a separate no-sweat single-game parlay every single day when you opt in. The best part is that you will receive both awards even if that first bet loses. Pretty good deal. So when you join DraftKings, please, again, make sure to sign up with the code YanksGoYard. Using that code, YanksGoYard, not only gets you these amazing bonuses, but it also also directly supports your boys. Podcast, site, Adam Thomas, you know, maybe it could buy us out of meetings and we won't be late to the podcast ever again. I don't know. I don't know what the future holds, but you're helping us. You're helping yourself. It's a win-win-win, as Michael Scott would say. Uh, this offer is only available to, available to new customers who are 21 and physically present in legal gambling states. Please rem remember to always gamble responsibly. Check the episode description for full terms of the offer to see if you qualify. Welcome on in, everybody. Well, welcome to the show. I mean, if Mando. you've seen uh, you've seen the Celsius sips today, I mean, you're going to see a lot of them. You guys love that yeah. shit, and uh, we are... <laughs> Uh, we are running on empty today for sure. A lot going on. Uh, now luckily, some of it involves the New York Yankees. I think uh, we sort of expected to, uh, you know, have to deal with, uh, oh, man, are, are they going to be so cheap as to not add another reliever for the rest of the offseason? Are they really confident going into the season with the unit 
that they're working with. And we started to rationalize. Yeah, probably. I mean, I guess they are. Everybody they're paying is taxed double, of course. So you see a guy like Ryan Brazier sign today for a deal that could take him up to $13 million in guarantees. And you're like, yeah, I know why the Yankees did not pay for a guy who's had a five ERA in the past, right? Relievers are fungible. And so you're like, maybe Clayton Beater's the guy. Maybe Will Warren gets a longer look in spring training. Uh, Luis Heal, obviously, they intend for him to step up pretty significantly. Yogo, as Aaron Boone said. But no, they do, in fact, go for a, a veteran, a veteran lefty, and a veteran lefty whose contract is coming to an end, uh, which is perhaps the most, not the most important thing. Obviously, the Yankees value uh, the combo, the ground ball combo, soft contact, expected ERA, sort of middling. The contact numbers are good. Um, Caleb Ferguson is a New York Yankee, and he will step into the Wandy Peralta role, the Wandy Peralta roster spot. The only question is whether he's going to step into the Wandy Peralta trust tree spot. Like, he's for sure going to be the first lefty called upon out of the bullpen. He's for sure going to be the lefty they call upon when it's first and second, one out, and they have a chance to induce a double play. But is he going to be closing? Closed a couple times with the Dodgers last year. Got some saves on the books. Uh, finished nine games last year and three games in 2022. But my Dodger fan friends are saying high leverage last year did not go so well for Ferguson. Problem last year was pretty plain. Uh, became more hittable after only allowing 23 hits and 34 and two-thirds the year before. Ups that to 64 and 60 and a third last year. Used way more often and almost double the games. And he also walked 23 in those 16 and a third. After walking 17 and 34 and two-thirds the year prior. Control, not totally his thing. The whip all the way up to 1.442 last year. Uh, he did strike out 70 men in 60 and a third innings. And like we said, the percentile rankings look pretty good. I don't know if the Eagles are going to be paying Caleb Ferguson next year. I doubt that they are going to prevent him from entering free agency. Uh, worst case, it kind of feels like a break-even move, but the Yankees really gave up pretty much no established talent here. A Dominican summer league pitcher who is a lottery ticket and a ways away, and Matt Gage, who they added after the Astros DFA'd him, after the Astros signed Josh Hader. The Yankees put him on the roster for like a week, then decided we'd rather use that roster spot on somebody more established like Caleb Ferguson. The Dodgers will roll the dice on Gage, and guess what? They'll probably end up rolling something pretty nice there because we know what they do with pitchers. But what's your immediate reaction to getting somebody who, look, put up 60-plus innings last year for the best team in the National League regular season division? Yeah, I um I don't mind it. And again, we talked the last couple episodes about the Yankees probably being done with free agent expenditures. Um, everything costs double. There's not that much out there that's really inspiring or worth um, you know, paying that 100% tax on. Uh, you could make the argument for some people if um you're not spending upwards of seven to twelve million dollars, but Keenan Middleton went for eleven, that's twenty-two million. That ain't worth it. Monty Peralta went for four and a half. That's nine million. And then you have potential three years of uh, control after that. Probably not worth it. Um, but it's all it's all what you're about and, and what you're feeling. I think the Yankees were never going to get the high leverage back end bullpen arm that they were expecting unless they had made a splash for one of the big guys earlier in the offseason or spent a record setting amount of money on Josh Hader. Um, so what I thought was left was smaller trades or just rolling with you, what you have. You have these other players who need to make an impact, other guys coming back from injury who need to prove themselves. You cannot clog up the bullpen with a million people and then leave all these other guys on the outside looking in. So Caleb Ferguson, I think this is a fine move, um, especially if they are getting him for nothing. They picked up uh, Gage off uh, – off waivers from the Astros, and um, then they're moving, I guess, uh, um, that prospect. I don't even know who that was. Um, and uh, I think Ferguson, at the very least, is somebody who has experience, who can eat innings in the in the middle um, there, and that's gonna that's gonna that's gonna provide value. That's what we were talking about previously. It's what we were talking about with the back end of the rotation. We need people who can eat innings, play matchups. Simply get the job done. Yeah, sure. Caleb Ferguson's um, stats aren't the most inspiring. I don't like that whip whatsoever. Um, the walks the last two years haven't been the most inspiring. Now that I'm now that I'm looking at them a little bit deeper, but the well, strikeouts yeah. have improved. Um, and he had a really good first half. Wheels kind of came off in the second half. Remember, the Dodgers also used him as an opener on occasion last year, 
And those also did not go well. I'm also not holding anybody um, to the fire based on the Dodgers bullpen last year. Um, the unit was not very good um, throughout the year. They were mixing and matching people all over the place. Did not have a hierarchy whatsoever. So Caleb Ferguson's role was largely undefined. Um, he found himself in the ninth inning. He found himself in the first inning. I don't think that that's um, conducive to success for anybody. You've seen the Yankees do that with uh, people in the past, right? Um, didn't really work out. Remember Chad Green went to the opener role after he was the seventh inning, eighth inning guy and got his ass kicked repeatedly? Yeah, I, I don't think that that's um, necessarily helpful for guys who are trying to establish a role and have a semblance of consistency and rhythm. Um, if Caleb Ferguson is going to give us 60 plus innings, if Caleb Ferguson is going to help preserve um, the later inning guys and bridge the gap to Clay Holmes in the ninth um, or whoever it might be in the ninth, depending on how things shake out early in the early going, I think it's a fine move. What's he making in arbitration? Did we snuff that out? That's a good question. I mean, shockingly, shockingly horrendous last year in the second half. I think that's probably yeah. what uh, Johnny that's what Probably what our LA commentator is referring to there. Yeah. Um, because look, high. Le I, I had heard from Dodger fans anecdotally that he struggles in high leverage opportunities. Uh, not seeing any evidence of that, especially last year, uh, except for the whip is elevated in save situations. Uh, the whip goes up in save situations all the way to 1.82. Although presumably a lot of that is from the end of the year. We're not acquiring him for that, though. Let's be no. clear, folks. But again, the, the whip goes up, but the ERA does not. So he got lucky, yeah. sure. But ERA in save situations in 25 games last year, 310. And in non-save, 297. Sure. So it's not a pressure thing, it would seem. He just probably had some of the save situations coincide with his bad September and October and his bad June uh, and his bad He probably had some bad save situation appearances on the road. Uh, you know, obviously you have to drill down that a little bit more, but uh, the road crushed him. Dodger stadium, 4-0, 1.10 and 36 games, 32 and two thirds innings on the road, 6.18 ERA and 27 and two thirds, allowing 42 hits. Uh, now the Yankees aren't acquiring someone <clears throat> intending to, split their time that way. Oh, we got to stay away from him at Yankee stadium. No, that's obviously not the point. They would <laughs> love, they, they're getting a guy who, who they want to be a, one of their key lefties out of the bullpen. So they're going to have to use him at home and they're going to have to use him in ballparks that are not necessarily advantageous to his skill set. but good job limiting. It's, it's all walks and it's all hit ability, but the ground balls and the low exit velocity, good stuff. Like he's, he's not Homer prone necessarily. He was just giving up a lot of, uh, giving up a lot of singles last year, clogging the bases with walks and of course, struggling on the road. But it's not like he's an automatic Yankee Stadium disaster because he was bad on the road last year. His profile actually indicates, all right, get some grounders. That middle infield will hopefully, you know, yes. come in like a vacuum cleaner and we'll be able to turn some double plays here and miss some bats. Uh, needless to say, though, if he has a second half this year like he did last year, no, Yankee fans will not view him favorably. But it's another guy entering a walk here, trying to make a statement, trying to enter free agency on a high note. And he joins Alex Verdugo, who struggled down the stretch last year as well and does not want to do that again. Nobody wants to do that again, but certainly not the walk year guys. Anthony Brizzo could be out of here next year. Glaber Torres could easily mm -hmm. be out of here next year and probably will be. Tons of walk year candidates. Clay Holmes. These are a lot of people who are going to be locked and loaded and also don't require monetary commitments for next year. The Yankees are not adding to next year's payroll if they don't have to. Marcus Stroman's deal will be on there. Trent Grisham's pre-arb salary will be on there. And they surely hope that Juan Soto will be as well because Soto, uh, they are they are adding pieces for 2024 as of this moment in time. That matters. Yeah. Um, and you look at Ferguson's um, stats from last year with the Dodgers situations. Um, he was essentially the third most relied upon reliever. Um, it was Evan Phillips, Bruce R. Gratterall, Caleb Ferguson. Um, Caleb Ferguson will not be the third most relied upon reliever in the Yankees bullpen. Um, you would hope uh, he, if he's utilized to his capabilities, which is eating up the middle innings coming in the event, there's an issue with the rotation. Um, you know, someone, a starter who gets knocked around um, early on and we need some uh, multi-inning relief there. That could be a big help. Um Anytime the bullpen is down, you know, the major guys are down and we need some innings eaten here and there. Like that's the move. Uh, he, he should not be used as a high leverage reliever. Um, if he's put in some of those spots, 
so be it. Sometimes that's going to be unavoidable. He, at the very least, has the experience and knows what it's like. So, um, again, this is tempering expectations. You get a low-cost guy who's going to hopefully um, help you structure your pitching staff um, a little bit better um, and um, in a more organized fashion. Take pressure off the guys who, for the last three years, have been taxed early on in the season, which has resulted in a breakdown as you get to the end of August beginning of September, and then obviously puts you in a bad spot for the postseason. So um, this is fine move to me. Anybody complaining about it? Again, don't really know what to tell you. You're reading into it a little bit too uh, too much, I think. It's $2.4 million this year for Ferguson, too. Nothing. And, uh, we, we, help, uh, we help the Dodgers out with Ryan Brazier, right? But he signs a two-year $9 million deal. He could earn up to $13 million via incentives. Nope. Again, double that, so that's – Two years, $18 million, if you're the New York Yankees, for Ryan Brazier, who the Dodgers fixed last year. Fixed for the year. Well, it's just double for this year, I think. Yeah, okay. Well, Sorry. So whatever he's making, the, whatever the sell, so, yeah. what, so $9, $9 million, million dollars for this year, which is $9 a lot of money. Dollars this year. Yeah. $9 million for Ryan Brazier, who, again, the Dodgers got an 0.70 ERA out of him in the second half last year. That's great. Started off the year in Boston with a 7.9 mark. Year before, 5.78 mark in Boston. Uh, he's 35 years old, uh, was injured in 2021, came back and was good for 12 innings. Uh, 4.85 ERA with the 2019 Red Sox. Brazier was essentially a one-year wonder 2018 World Series champion with the Red Sox, and every fucking thing went right for that team down the stretch last year. Yeah. So who could possibly be surprised about the 2018 Red Sox uncovering a <laughs> hidden gem? Uh, then he's amazing with the Dodgers for the second half of last season. I'm sorry. I don't want to make a two-year commitment to that player at the age of 36. I don't want the Yankees paying $9 million for that player in 2024 if they're going to be budget-strapped. I understand having an issue with the Yankees quibbling over a certain amount of money. I get that. But yeah. they're backed into a corner now. They're looking to fill out their bullpen. They're not looking to spend $9 million this year on an uncertain piece. And all that's out there right now is uncertainty. I like Hector Neris. He priced himself out. I didn't really care about Phil Maton until he went to the Rays. Now I guess I have to care about that because the Rays do what the Rays do. Uh, if you thought we were signing Josh Hader, like, look, if the Yankees wanted to spend a billion dollars like the Dodgers, they might have, but they had no intention of doing that. And I think comparing yourself to the Dodgers is unfair and a way to set yourself up for disappointment. Yeah. Uh, I sure wish. It, we could certainly do this podcast through a different lens where the Yankees and Dodgers have the same payroll expectations. And the Yankees have a Shohei Otani-like recruiting figure, which Aaron Judge has not proven himself to be, and Juan Soto is not here for a long time yet. So we can certainly pretend like the Yankees could have gotten Yamamoto, should have spent an extra $100 million, and had an Otani-like figure in the fold. We can certainly pretend the Yankees should attack every offseason from here on out, thinking we have $1.2 billion to spend, so how are we going to do it? Let's get Blake Snell, let's get Josh Hader. I wish we could do that, but I just know how the Yankees operate. I, I We haven't seen a major league team operate that way. No. The way that the Dodgers just operated in decades. So I wish that we could say, why doesn't my team do that too? But I think we just have to sit here slack-jawed at the Dodgers. Know it's a 162-game season. Know that things could go off the rails for them. You see Shohei Otani's scar on his arm. You know, Yamamoto doesn't throw uh, more than once a week. You know, Yamamoto's never used a major league baseball for a larger sample size than the World Baseball Classic. Like, it could all go wrong for the Dodgers, and if they were the Yankees, we'd be dissecting the various reasons why all the money they spent this offseason could be set on fire. But we're not them. They're the only team that's willing to be them, and we have to operate under the Yankees' budget constraints when we talk about this roster. Caleb Ferguson, a perfect fit in those circumstances. Uh, so I'm not the one who's going to sit here and say the Yankees can't afford to pay Ryan Brazier or the Yankees can't afford to pay Tony Kemp and the reliever. But the Yankees are sitting here telling you that, so we have to talk about them that way. Yeah. Um, Roberto, I don't think any free agency moves are happening unless the expenditure would be like $3 million or less. Um, and again, anything this year is double the cost. So as I mentioned earlier, Keenan Middleton, one year, $11 million, like in a vacuum, that sounds fine. One year, $22 million, that's more than the qualifying offer. That's crazy. Um, so in terms of where they are um, financially, um, again, I don't think there's anybody out there that's worth it um, to pay double unless you're talking about upgrading the rotation like a maniac with either Snell or Montgomery. And then I think at that point, they would they have to figure out somebody else to get off the books, whether it's 
I don't know. I really don't know who it would be. Could it be Stanton? Sure. Could it be Rizzo? Maybe. Could it be DJ LeMahieu? Sure. Um, I don't know any of the answers. I'm just I'm thinking of people who have money attached to them who've largely done nothing for us over the last year or so, um, which is where their logic is going to come from. They're not just going to randomly dump somebody um, that's making money that has contributed. Um, and like we talked about before, like getting rid of Glaber Torres doesn't make any sense um, unless there was some larger uh, unless there was some larger implication there or some like some sort of trade that we are not even thinking of. Um, maybe it's to sign a starting pitcher, trade Glaber for more relief help. I, I don't know. Also, I don't we, we've talked a million times about how we are not sure what makes sense with a Glaber Torres trade. Um so there, there's a lot of things here that you have to consider. Anybody they trade with a salary, they're going to have to eat some of it or they're going to have to part with a prospect. Don't know if they're willing to do that. Again, a lot of the acquisitions they made are for this year. Um, so you have to look at it through that lens. Um, and for them to further go full bore on 2024 with largely underwhelming options out there from a free agent perspective, I just don't think that's in the Yankees – wheelhouse i don't if they're gonna blow by the luxury tax threshold the, the last year um and they're gonna go for it all it's gonna be for an impact player it's gonna be for an obvious difference maker um and then even with that there's going to have to be changes because the 40-man roster is filled um so my prediction is that there are no more free agent moves that happen um and if there is a trade is going to have to happen first um and they're gonna have to clear the path for something whether that be roster space and or payroll um, so yeah, maybe cease, but then, uh, Eric, uh, thanks for mentioning that. Um, but now, uh, Bob Nightingale, I believe of USA today is reporting that, um, the return that the Orioles got for Corbin Burns is reportedly the floor for Dylan cease. So that ain't happening. Um, if that's the case, um, I don't know how the Orioles got away with surrendering that. Um, what was it? Their six and seven prospects and essentially like a round one, a draft pick. That's what's um, so annoying because yeah. theoretically the Orioles system is so good that they could have withstood like a big hit to the top of their system. So the Brewers should have asked the Orioles for more, not yeah. less. Like yeah. the, the Orioles are one of the very few teams who, if you're trading with them, you should demand one of their top four guys. And then if they won't pay, be like, all right, well, it's a bummer. We'll, we'll be here when you decide to pay. Cause we know you have an insane amount of depth and somehow the Brewers managed to get a, uh, the uh, DL Hall, who the number six Orioles prospect for Baseball America, I believe, had been working as a lefty reliever, but was a starter in the minors. Will probably get a chance to start in Milwaukee. And Joey Ortiz, who is a, a you know their number seven, who is a slick fielding infielder who will probably slot in at third there pretty soon in Milwaukee, and a number sixty nine pick or something like that. Uh, sure. You know, but you've constructed a deal that is the least painful possible deal for the Orioles. Yeah. Who are, uh, oh, they're going to miss D.L. Hall. No, they just got Corbin Burns. They're not even thinking about that. Uh, and, oh, they're going to miss Joey Ortiz. No, because you let them keep Kowser and Mayo and Holiday and Gunnar Henderson and Westberg and all the other infielders. that They have a glut of infielders, and you're basically asking them, can we have the least impressive one? They're like, <laughs> yes. Yes, you can. <laughs> so... They had an opportunity to plunder the Orioles, which is what the White Sox have been doing for Dylan Cease. The White Sox keep saying, we're going to, you know, we'll, we'll be here. If you want Dylan Cease, we, we know who you got. We'll be here. Let us know. And the Orioles called their bluff by finding a team that suddenly after all offseason of dictating, we're going to go for it. We're signing Reese Hoskins. We're going to try to compete and then trade people at the deadline. They've decided, oh, no, actually, uh, we're, we're going to sign Hoskins, but then also trade our ace away for a relatively light return i don't get it at all but if that's the floor for the cease deal which it seems to be then the yankees will not be making the cease deal no um and thanks thanks for chiming in here guys all worth talking about uh trevor bauer and julio urias um again with the tax situation i don't think so um and, even if and urias urias yeah. by the way uh you know criminal well, matters Criminal matters aside, not cleared. Uh, Major yeah. League Baseball is still going to make a decision there. Odds are very high he will be suspended for a good portion of this season, if not the whole thing. Remember, a two-time offender. And, and again, yeah. difference between charges and cleared, right? Yeah. So just making that perfectly clear. And yeah. Trevor Bauer, uh, you know, an aging starter who kind of struggled in the Japanese league last year with all the baggage that he has. Um, no, thank you. 
Yeah. The Yankees are not going over the tax for Trevor Bauer. Exactly. That's that's really the point here. Because even if a cheap deal were to arise for them, I don't see it being anything under $12 million, yeah. um, which would cost the Yankees $24 million. Also for Urias, um, there are there's still potential, I believe, for files to be charged for misdemeanor. Um, so that is far from over, um, especially because the uh, uh, the commissioner's office has to conduct its own independent investigation and is going to make a ruling based on the past behavior or whatever they find in um, uh, in the details. Remember, uh, MLB can make a ruling that is inconsistent with whatever the law does. If they find in the police files that what Urias was alleged to do is punishable under their policy, they are going to do it. It is a lot different from a district attorney's office saying, okay, we're going to move forward and um, uh, uh, put uh, levy charges upon a, a high profile figure, um, which is then going to create a lot of problems for them. Um, if they don't have every bit of information, correct. MLB can just make it a suspension and that's it. District attorney's office f levying charges can go in all, you know, all sorts of bad directions for them. So a lot of this is also politics. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes and, and we don't know the details, but at this point, I think the Yankees are going to keep their hands clean of investments that are not absolutely ironclad needless to say it would be a major surprise for them to extend themselves beyond that threshold in order to yeah accommodate give, someone like that yeah give an inflated one-year contract to somebody with with tarnished reputations like that um, yeah. i don't i don't know if they're both going to be um out of the bigs this year i i would bet against Darius pitching this year for sure um, we <laughs> imagine the content with Bauer and Strowman. No, I, I actually won't. I, like, I appreciate the comment, but no, I absolutely will not be imagining that content for even one second. Any second I spend imagining that content is a second I could be that could be spent eating delicious chicken or sleeping. I will not be imagining that content, uh, but we shall see. Uh, yeah, the Yankees, uh, I think it is surprising. And I can't believe I'm doing this. And feel free. What are we doing? Me. Feel free to hit me with the TKO or whatever. But nobody's been more negative about Brian Cashman's last like five years than we oh, have. Oh yeah. Like falling for the Stanton thing and allowing the Stanton deal to hamstring you, and somehow thinking that Hal's going to approve spending beyond Stanton, but he actually doesn't. Getting Garrett Cole, great. But then the only other MLB move you make that offseason is bringing Brett Gardner back not mm -hmm. having left the outfielders on last year's roster. We wrote all this stuff about how if they let Gardner walk back onto the team in 2022, it'd be a failure. And then they didn't do that, but they didn't do anything other than that either. And then Gardner actually would have been a, a successful move in comparison to what they did, which was nothing. Yeah. The 2022 trade deadline was horrifically managed. Frankie Montas was an awful addition. He was hurt. He came in hurt and they somehow didn't know that. And they somehow couldn't conclude that he maybe wouldn't help the team down the stretch. And they trade for Scott Efros because they fall in love with his years of control. And he's still not back. And you already lost a year of that control. And he's still slow rehabbing. Uh, Andrew Benintendi, you know, you couldn't have known he was going to fracture a handmade bone that he thought he'd had surgically removed. But you could have known that he probably wasn't re-signing and didn't provide power and Whatever. I could go on and on and on about Cashman's failures. And I think anybody who wants to say that the last five years have been a Cashman disaster class, I'm, I'm with you. We are hard on Brian Cashman's regime. And go back to the podcast we did after he showed up at the GM meetings and was like, oh, we've been a success or whatever. Just go back to those, right? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if there's been a more negative force on Brian Cashman than us the past couple of years. But fans are not giving the Yankees enough credit for this offseason. Because Juan Soto was so early in the offseason. Uh, and I think also the definition of what was happening next after Juan Soto has been skewed. Uh, they did Verdugo, Soto, and Grisham all in a row. In one, in two trades, they get three lefty outfielders. Grisham, high upside, good defense. Juan Soto, Juan Soto. Alex Verdugo, strong hitter in a walk year. Who, again, go back to the podcast. We didn't want him, but objectively an upgrade on what they were running out there. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Last year. How to flesh out the rotation? They go ahead and get Marcus Stroman, who... Not my first choice. If you ask me who I want in the rotation to fill out the five-man unit, it's Blake Snell for me. But that price, 
they they offered Blake Snell $150 million over five years. He said no. He's still out there waiting. He wants to beat the Rodon contract. Best of luck. I am not extending myself that high for someone who, with that escalating walk rate and who is aging and who is that volatile, I'm not paying him more than the volatile lefty I already have in the rotation. So I totally get that. If the Yankees didn't want to strike on Stroman and they wanted to be patient and see if Snell's price would come down, uh, well, he's still out there. I guess they could have done that, but I'd rather the certainty. I'd rather not be sitting here with Stroman somewhere else mm-hmm. going, why is our rotation Rodon, Nestor, Cole, Schmidt, Will Warren, Clayton Beater, Heel, Poteet? Like, where's the big, where are the big league innings? Where are the known quantities? I'm totally fine here. Um, and Eric, I, I understand the comment, but Juan Soto is just a much better player than Cody Bellinger. Yeah. Um, and the year to year stuff, the fact that Bellinger had the one boom year at Wrigley field with the shaky underlying metrics, trying to parlay it. That's why he's not getting the contract he wants because everyone has access to the same data that says he was better last year than he should have been. I like Soto, the player more than Bellinger agree to disagree on that. Uh, but I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised with Soto. Um, I like Stroman over Snell. I think I don't think this is a dream offseason, and I'm not here saying like Brian Cashman did it. The Yankees are without flaw. He also got Victor Gonzalez and today Caleb Ferguson for the bullpen and Yorbit Vivas, interesting depth piece uh from the Dodgers. Stash at AAA could be in the infield by end of year. Volpe coming back from last year needs to show improvement, needs to, needs to, but that's a big potential addition there. Uh, you know, year two Volpe could be an addition theoretically. And then Jason Dominguez is coming back mid-year. Um, I don't think this Yankees team is without flaw. Believe me, listen to any podcast that we have done over the last two years. Uh, but I think this is an offseason of Brian Cashman doing doing a good deal of the work, putting this team in a much better place than it was at the end of last year. It might not work. It might not work. And we're right. going to have to second guess and reassess all these uh, solutions, all these potential solutions. We're also going to have to see where they go with the deadline because I thought Corbin Burns was coming at the deadline, and he's not. He's in Baltimore now. Uh, so that changes things for sure. That downgrades the offseason in my eyes a little bit. Move it from maybe an A- minus to a B-plus for me. But I think the fans who are like, Cashman is not doing anything are being insane because they're passing on Wandy Peralta and Phil Maton. You're ignoring early December when he got a jump on the offseason and added a potential future Hall of Famer to play the outfield. And I don't mind paying him $500 million. He's going to want that. And, and there are very few commitments beyond Cole and Judge and, and Stroman and Rodon on the books for next year so that they can offer Soto a crazy deal. If they don't, if he's a failure in the Bronx, we'll reassess. If he doesn't come back, he goes somewhere else. The Yankees won't pay his price. We'll reassess. But the Yankees got a potential future Hall of Famer in here in a trade this offseason. And then. They tried to get Yamamoto, and he went to the team with Shohei Otani. They bid $300 million for the guy, and he went to the team with Shohei Otani. Sorry. If they had signed Yamamoto, we would be praising this as a brilliant masterstroke of an offseason. They got halfway there, and then got Marcus Stroman instead. I actually don't think this is a bad offseason at all. I'm willing to – look, I'm willing to eat crow if it ends up being a terrible offseason. But we bashed the last several. Last year's trade deadline when they do nothing is one of the worst – Failures of decision-making in recent front office history in Major League Baseball. Not picking a lane there is absolutely crazy. But I think they did a good job recovering this offseason. And I think so much of the offseason assessment that doesn't include the sentence, oh, they also got Juan Soto at the beginning, we have to mention that. We have to mention that. Yeah. And I also don't agree with the idea that he stopped after saying he wants the Yankees to be the mecca of baseball. He didn't stop. He was stopped. Yamamoto stopped him. They thought they had Yamamoto and they didn't. That changes the tone of the offseason for sure. And we can't pretend like they got him. But that comment was in reference to Yamamoto, who they thought they had and they didn't have him. So after that, I don't know who you're going to sign to make them the quote-unquote mecca of baseball this offseason. Maybe next year, maybe in the future. But this offseason, the mecca people are gone. Jordan Montgomery doesn't make you the mecca. Blake Snell doesn't make you the mecca. Matt Chapman doesn't make you the mecca. So instead of rushing into a long-term deal with a flawed fit, I'm happy with where they are. Yeah, and the difference is, of course, um, previously when the Yankees have missed out on targets or didn't get their way on the trade market, um, they had no pivot. They just said, oh, well, whoops, looks like we're not doing anything, or oh, looks like our bench is now full of a bunch of uh, guys who might not be major leaguers. Looks like the bullpen has uh, a couple of extra pieces uh, that we're going to experiment with and see what happens. Looks like the back end of the starting rotation doesn't have anybody in it. Um We've seen a lot worse uh, miscalculations here than what the Yankees have done this offseason. 
They got themselves outfield depth this time around and actual bench pieces that that you can rely upon in some capacity. I think um, I think they're going to test that a little bit um, early on in the season to see what they actually have and then determine what moves they have to make beyond that. And then, like we said, I think the the Yamamoto thing blowing up in their face, there was nothing they could do about that. They pivoted. They got then arguably the next best option for the amount of money on the market. Um, obviously, we were not even thinking about Marcus Stroman because of his past history with the Yankees um, and uh, all the other, you know, potential baggage that you might think comes with him, but to get him at that price and to see that he is one of the most effective pitchers in the, in the last five years, that that's a move. Um, That's not going to make the Yankees immediate world series contenders, but it's going to get them through the year. It's going to deepen the rotation and it's going to actually give them a chance to win games. Everyone here complains ourselves included about punt games. How many times did the Yankees try to starter out there being like, all right, what are we doing? Why is random guy being called up from AAA to start today? This doesn't make sense. Why is half the lineup out? Now, this year, you have a rotation that actually has guys with major league experience. I think Clark Schmidt also getting last year under his belt will be huge, and that's going to deepen the rotation in a really good way. And then you have a bench where it's like, if you have to sit one of your guys, having Trent Grisham in there, is going to be helpful having Alex Verdugo at the bottom of the lineup where that was previously occupied by guys who hit below 200 is going to make all the difference. So I think we got a little bit greedy because the Soto trade was telegraphed and we expected it to happen. And now we're sitting here being like, okay, what else? Like what else is happening? It's, I well, get you it. Got, you got Juan Soto. Juan Soto yeah. is the guy. You got Alex Verdugo. Were we excited about that? Not exactly. But then you step back and you realize how much of a difference he can make if he's again put in the right spot in the lineup, given the opportunity to be protected in the lineup and delivers like he has in, you know, in on a semi-consistent basis like he did in Boston, that is worlds better than what the Yankees have been doing with their six through nine hitters over the last three years. Um, so and again, there, there's not many other options out there. You do not, you do not spend they were willing to spend the sun and the moon for Yamamoto, whether it was because they knew they were getting international, you know, money in return with the marketing and 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 with the Japanese television markets or whatever. Um, that that was probably part of the thinking. Now, if you get someone like Jordan Montgomery or Blake Snell, you're paying for a largely known quantity at the highest price possible because they both just had career years, um, and it would be very consistent with what the Yankees have done previously acquiring Giancarlo Stanton, knowing his large injury history, but willing to pay that giant price. You want the Yankees now, knowing the history of Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery, two very good pitchers, but very much have limitations in their own right. Nothing against them either. It's just the reality. And then paying the most amount of money you can for them. And then probably mostly over that deal, seeing what they've largely been capable of over their you know five, six, seven-year MLB careers. Um, I'm not opposed to signing either of them, but when you're talking about making a move and making a splash, neither of those are it. And I think the Yankees pivoted as best they possibly could. And now it's wait and see, prepare for the trade deadline. My hope here, and this would be absolutely egregious. Well, there's two things. One, we'll find out later, were they in on these Burns talks? And if they weren't, why? And if they weren't willing to outbid the Orioles, or maybe the Brewers just weren't willing to trade with the Yankees. Like, there's a lot of factors that, that that we have to figure out. We don't know what the deal is. I would like to know answers to some of those questions before we start freaking out. Um, and then secondly, they better have an entire list of people that they are going to pursue at the trade deadline now that um, Corbin Burns is off the market. And they better be preparing for whatever the Dylan Cease market has um, has shifted to. Um, I'm not saying they need to pay every single price, but they need to be in talks with them throughout to know what what you know what the floor is. Maybe it's this, but guess what? If that is the floor, all the other teams are going to come in and they're going to say absolutely not. Corbin Burns is a Cy, proven Cy Young winner who's one of the most durable pitchers in the league. Dylan Cease has one good year under his belt, and the one extra year of control is not convincing us of anything. So the due diligence there is remaining in the Cease talks to see where they descend into because that is not – maybe that's the White Sox floor. That is not going to be the floor as the season progresses, unless 
He has, what was his big year? 2022. Unless he has another 2022 start to his uh, 2024 season, then that changes everything. But if they're talking about getting rid of him before opening day, the Yankees need to be there every single step of the way because that trade price is not going to be is not going to be the exact same as Corbin Burns. It's going to be two totally different things. So those are the two things I will hold the Yankees' feet to the fire for. I want to know more details about these this Burns stuff, and I want to know um, where they stand now that arguably their top trade deadline target is now off the market. They better be doing a lot of pivoting internally, and they better be targeting guys who other teams are not eyeing as much because the more eyes on a certain trade target – the less likely those teams with the pieces are willing to trade to the Yankees. Um, and then obviously the asking price goes up in terms of the trade talks. So this is where they need to get creative. And so that's where I'll start getting mad at the front office. If we're not seeing results, I'm not getting mad because they didn't spend on options that we thought would obviously make the team better, but would not necessarily um, get them to where they needed to be in, you know, in a, in a world series contention conversation. Yeah, if they didn't if they didn't enter the Burns talks at all, we, we can blow up as soon as we learn more about the Corbin Burns conversation. And we can learn whether there was a Yankees tax or not, potentially along the way. We'd heard about Dominguez. Oh, you want you want Burns? You better be ready to give up Dominguez and Spencer Jones. And then the Orioles gave up a package that was basically, I mean, I'm being generous when I say Oswald Peraza and Will Warren. Like maybe Pereira and Will Warren, but like mm. The shines off Peraza a little bit, but he's been a bigger name pedigree-wise than Ortiz has been. Like, it does feel like the Yankees could have easily gotten Corbin Burns for this package, and hopefully we'll learn more about that. Uh, I'd also rather the Orioles be the big bad in the division than the Red Sox, the Jays, and the Rays. Maybe I'm alone there, but hey, the Orioles want to go for it, beef it up. Uh, they cool. do have a lot to prove they got swept out of the playoffs last year. So maybe this is the year, but last year was the year, and then they entered the playoffs and were horrendous. and couldn't Pressure's on them. Pressure's on them. So we shall see. Um, also worth noting that all the stuff we had that we wanted to talk about today feels kind of quaint now that we're doing this holistic view of the offseason. But yeah, uh, the Yankees thought they had their number two. And they, they thought it was Carlos Rodon. Mm-hmm. If Carlos Rodon isn't a big disaster last year and pitches up to his capabilities, then no one is acting like the Yankees rotation is in shambles. It's yeah. a disaster that needs saving. And we got to spend on Blake Snell this offseason. I know that everything does, you know, everything compounds. So we can't just sit here in a vacuum and be like, the A's don't have to spend because they have Carlos Rodon. Because we do, we have the knowledge that Carlos Rodon was bad last year. Like, we we watched it. We watched it happen. He had a 6 ERA. He barely pitched. He was hurt. And he was dreadful. So I can't sit here on a podcast and pretend I don't know that. But the Yankees tried to pay a co-ace last year. They paid $162 million for a player who was supposed to be their number two. He was awful last year and he's still here. If he lives up to the stuff plus, which did not show that there was a regression year over year, then he's their number two. Then they have one. But looking, making making that financial commitment to Rodon and then having him be awful and then being like the solution is a $180 million financial commitment to Blake Snell just doesn't work for me. Burns yeah. is the guy. If you could have gotten Burns, get Burns. Yeah. But the idea that we have to keep spending $180 million on volatile pitchers every year because we made a mistake doing that the last year doesn't work for me. And Fernando, I don't know where we got our wires crossed, but I, Rodon was a big disaster last year. That's exactly what I said. We know yeah. that. We know he was awful last year, yeah. but he wasn't supposed to be. He was supposed to be the move. So if we keep spending $180 million on starters, just hoping it eventually works, we might end up with a competent number two and then an albatross. But we And we might end up with a bunch of bounce backs, but we might also end up with failure, failure, 350 bad money on the payroll. So, you know. Yeah. Um, the other thing there is like, there's a big difference with what the Yankees have been like projecting with um, uh, like repeat performances. Right. So we sit there and we're like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, Giancarlo Stanton should in theory bounce back this year or like, Oh, maybe we won't be injured this year. Um, they have done that with the same people over and over and over again, doing it with one year with Carlos Rodon is a different story. Like that was a very big outlier year for him. He doesn't, he hasn't particularly done stuff like that. Um, and then on top of that, um, you have to realize that this was an investment that was made. Um, and we don't know if it's a mistake yet because one year is not enough to judge him. Remember two injuries hampered him. Um, and, uh, one was a forearm, one was a back. Those are two significant things. He never truly had the chance to get in a rhythm last year. So it's not like he made 32 starts 
and pitched to a six ERA and uh, hated all the fans and was terrible with the media. He had a very up and down, like difficult season um, that was probably frustrating for him to deal with because a um, he's not healthy and he's trying to figure out a way to get back to where he needs to be. He talked himself up a lot in terms of like wanting to be in New York, happy to be held accountable by the fans. Um, and then that backfired on him. So that probably affected him a little bit more. Um, so this is not a situation where we're like doing that blind projecting where it's like, okay, well, you know, um, this person did this last year, but that shouldn't happen this year um, with guys who have been more consistent in actually not delivering. This is a once, this is a bit of an outlier campaign for Rodon in terms of recent history, because his two years before that were Cy Young caliber. Um, and this is letting the investment see itself through. And again, the other investments out there are very Rodon-esque. They are incomplete. They have their warts and there are, they, they are not, they are not ironclad. Even Yamamoto was not ironclad. Um, was I down to spend that money? Absolutely. Am I still down to spend money on other, uh, the other people out there? Absolutely. But like those come with risks as well. And we're going to be having the same conversation if we bring in Blake Snell on a $200 million deal and he's nicked up and has finger issues and back issues and groin issues and only makes 21 starts and, and can't, go innings, can't go six innings, you know, five innings, 112 pitches at Fenway, four earned runs in his road debut against the Red Sox. Like you can see it. Um, I'm not saying that Carlos Rodon wasn't a failure last year. It was as bad a year as you can have. It changed yeah. everything because I, I can't get it through my head that this is just a failure of a signing and we have to chalk up that uh, the Yankees did exactly what I asked them to. And it was terrible. Like, I just can't get that through my head yet after this year, if he's just as bad and just as hurt and absent, then it's over. Then, then it's over. Then the contract is done. That is a black hole. That is a waste of space. But the Yankees needed a fire-breathing co-ace for Garrett Cole last year. They got one. He showed up, and everything went wrong. The stuff was as good as it's been in the past, according to objective metrics. He couldn't locate it. He hurt his back. The back ruined his torque. He had a forearm strain. He didn't have a spring training. He came back. He was dreadful. He found his footing in September. He started to make everybody eat their words. And then he had the worst start in Major League history to end the season against the Royals. Did not record an out. Blue kisses to the fans. Again, it literally could not have gone worse. So I'm not here just saying, I bet he's an ace next year. I think we got our co-ace. But I can't just accept like, okay, this is one of the worst moves in baseball history. And the solution to it being one of the worst moves in baseball history is to pay a similar pitcher more money. That's what I can't get behind. If you could have gotten Snell for 150 or three years, 90 or whatever, then absolutely. And, and no Stroman in that case. But I'll be honest, I kind of wanted Snell and Stroman because I, I like having six major league caliber starters. That's just me. Or maybe you trade Clark Schmidt for a bat or maybe Clark Schmidt's in the bullpen. Who knows? But right now there are five guys, five big league caliber starters. Rodon dropped the weight. He's at spring training. Nestor dropped the weight. He's at spring training too. Um, and we, I mean, we need to see it from Rodon this year because the Yankees already solved this problem by signing Carlos Rodon. And then his 2023 season unsolved it, undid the solving. He was awful. So if he's good to great this year, the Yankees are in a great shape. And if he is bad to horrendous this year, then they have to start again next offseason. But I think next offseason is the offseason when you start that process, not this year. Yeah. And Burns is available next offseason. That's automatically a better better acquisition than any Scott of these Boris, guys. Have. Scott Boris guy. He's not extending. So you want to be the big bad Yankees? You want to be the Mecca? You don't have to accept that he's an Oriole long term. Just because they have new owners. You don't have to go, oh, he's an Oriole forever. Oopsie. We we, we tried. We wish. You could go You could go out there and, and go, hey, what, do you, what are the Orioles offering you? Oopsie. We know they got Rutschman. They got a sign. We know they got Gunner. We know they got Jackson Holiday. We know they got Grayson Rodriguez. What are they offering you? The Rodon deal? A little more? Six years 180? We got six years 240. Come on down. We get, on we're, down. Signing, we're signing you and Juan Soto long term. Like, well, don't just pencil Burns into the Orioles forever. And if, if you do, you're making a mistake. You can compete in that market. Maybe he does stay with the Orioles, but you can compete in that market. You can really screw him. If he were a Yankee this year and the Orioles were lurking in the offseason, we'd be scared of them with their new owners. So let's make them scared of us if we have to. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, and 
again, we can't, I think the bigger, the bigger thing that we have to understand here is that the Yankees just can't keep making expenditure after expenditure to, yeah, look, there's a difference between, there's a difference between make, uh, making um, a wrong right by overspending to fix the John Carlos Stanton situation or um, to fix uh, the DJ LeMahieu situation. But to do it for Carlos Rodon, who's been here for a year, who is like who very much projects as a number two, the exact the exact kind of starter everybody was looking for last year um, to slot into this rotation. Like you can't keep you can't keep making these these expenditures every year if, if they don't work out for one single season. If it's a consistent pattern, then yes. But this needs time to breathe. Um, and then again, if the investment is going to happen, it needs to be either completely perfect, like the, a, a seamless fit, or you're paying the price, you're paying the reasonable price, understanding what the shortcomings are. And I, I don't think that opportunity has presented itself um, this offseason for the Yankees. No, I don't either, man. I mean, what else that, was, that was a great chunk. I loved doing really this chunk. podcast, but I mean, it really does feel like I don't want to be like, well, that was a great holistic discussion of the Yankees. Let's talk about the Tony Kemp rumors because that's not even that's not even real. That's not real life. Um, I, I, I like to, I like Tony Kemp as a bench fit. End end of discussion. Uh, the Yankees are reportedly connected to Tony Kemp, who's been working out with Spencer Jones. Uh, be a more purposeful use of the last bench spot than just throwing some random failure rookie in there. Um, Tony yeah, Kemp. the New York the New York Post is sensationalizing the Orioles as the next Astros, and it's easy to do that. Sure. Because the Orioles brain trust came from the Astros. So they're trying to build the Astros for sure. Um, also, the New York Post gets, you know, it's business done by being sensationalistic. Um, the Mets were going to be the next Dodgers. Remember? Yeah, remember that? And then they spent three. <laughs> the, the Red Sox were going to be the next Dodgers. Yeah. Remember? Sustainability, mm -hmm. minor league pipeline that could feed a, a raise educated genius running a big market payroll. But then, oh, wait, somewhere along the way, the Red Sox decided they didn't want to run a big market oh. payroll. And then, oh, wait, somewhere along the way, the Mets realized you can't just become the new Dodgers by spending wildly at the top of the market and making sure that a bunch of 40 year old aces with pedigree join you. They sold those guys already. And the Red Sox executive who was supposed to do that is already fired. The Orioles are probably going to be very, very good. Sure. And probably, probably for quite a while. And they're run by former Astros executives. So they have those guiding principles in place. But what were the Astros principles tank for a while and then stock your roster with the prospects yeah. you got via tanking. Yeah, the Orioles also did that. And I guess you can make that work in a city like Baltimore and Godspeed to them. Uh, but I just, the Orioles being very, sometimes you have to contend with other teams being very good. Mm -hmm. The Astros being the Astros shouldn't have prevented the Yankees from making the World Series. The Yankees should have schemed to beat them. The Astros got lucky, lucky and good. I don't mean lucky. I don't mean they just got the bounces, et cetera. But the Astros-Yankees, there's no reason that should have been Astros- Four Yankees zero from 2015 to present. Yeah, the Astros weren't that much better than the Yankees. That it's like, well, we'll just never beat them. I mean, we we won't, and we didn't, and we got psyched out. But that should have just been two good teams clashing. They win one, we win one. They win one, we win one. Oh, what a great rivalry! Instead, they just stomped our ass. Unique combination. The Astros just have our number. There's no reason that the Orioles, just because they're going to be a very good baseball team, are going to just have our number every year. Maybe they do. But there's no reason to believe, like, uh, just because a team is good means they're unbeatable. Like, that's not – you can't go in – you can't go into next season being like, I wish the Orioles weren't the Astros, but they are, so unfortunately we can't compete. Like, no, go out there and try to beat them. See what they do at the deadline and equal them. Move your chess piece to where theirs is. Yeah. And yep. and make them, make them sweat on Corbin Burns. Make it very yeah. clear – Make it very clear that they have a lot to get in line in their own house and that we have a lot of payroll commitments coming off the books next year and we can get Juan Soto and we can sign Corbin Burns too. Maybe we prefer Max Freed. Maybe they extend Burns, we get Freed. The, the Yankees can make some moves next offseason, but they can't really make some moves this offseason and they're going to hope that Carlos Rodon maintains that stuff year over year and looks more like Carlos Rodon than the one that we saw last year who was, again, a colossal failure, a failure to an unprecedented degree. Mm -hmm. I can't believe how bad Carlos Rodon was last year. 
And it's the kind of bad that makes you go, man, nothing this team does is ever going to work again. We already saw all the good stuff when we were kids and young adults. Now it's just the bad stuff. That's how crazy his regression was last year. So I'm going to hope that doesn't happen again. And if it does, then it's probably time to pull the plug and reinforce. Yeah, and that's uh, that's you want to talk about luck being a factor there. Yeah, no, when we're saying a team is lucky, we're not saying that, oh, they just, you know, fell ass backwards into this. It's like, injuries kind of a luck factor and it means they didn't have the bad luck it doesn't mean that they got all these lucky breaks it means Mm -hmm. they didn't lose key players down the stretch the 2018 red sox oh oh my god like oh my god really good team really lucky team really good team really lucky team no even even look at the dodgers year over year really really good team not particularly a lucky team The 2018 Yankees were better than the 2017 Yankees, but you would never know that because of the one that we remember more fondly. They won 11 more games. And in 2018, they ran into a buzzsaw Red Sox team that shouldn't have existed. And Aaron Judge played a boombox after game two of the DS, and they had the worst home loss in, in Yankees playoff history, basically. But that 2018 team was better than the team that went on a run the year before and lost to the cheating Astros. But we remember the weird quirky team with Todd Frazier and rookie Aaron Judge and some scrap heap guys because they almost made it to the top of the mountain, and they didn't. But that 2017 team was lucky. That 2018 team was not and ran into a buzzsaw. The 2019 Yankees were unbelievably lucky, but then got exposed in much the same way the Knicks just had a nine-game winning streak that wouldn't end with their roster gummed up without Ananobi and without Julius Randle and with all these spare parts getting minutes and Taj Gibson playing. The Lakers were like, we're going to choke out Jalen Brunson and you guys aren't going to win again. Luck ran out. The the Knicks are very good, but they're going to need their stars back in order to make a playoff run. The 2019 Yankees were very good. They couldn't make a playoff run without Giancarlo standing there with no starting pitching. Eventually, they ran into uh, the the team that was eventually going to take them out. They couldn't rely on luck anymore. This team needs to be both lucky and good this year. They could win 102 games, and we would not remember them at all because of the way October ended, which pretty much is how 2022 went. 99-win team on a record-setting pace that we don't remember fondly because of the way they played and the way they wilted in the ALCS. This year's team could be the same thing, or they could win 92 games and we'll remember them forever because they got the bounces in October. That's the sad reality of how baseball goes. And I think bounce back versus not bouncing back, a lot of that is on Rodon and Nestor Cortez. Yeah. And and what, yeah, what are you going to do? You're going to squeeze them out of the rotation because, because you are, you know, because of how they – how they performed last year, what their injuries were and luck, luck spans so many other different things, uh, so many other different ways too. like the Orioles and Astros willingly tanked for a long time. Do you know how hard it is to hit on draft picks? It is hard. Even if you are not tanking and have the draft picks, it's hard to hit on the, the, the top talent. I understand the odds are more in your favor if you have more top draft picks, but the fact that the Orioles were able to, have that many hits is considerable. The Astros having as many international signings and top draft picks that hit was considerable. And part of that has to do with luck. Um, The Yankees in particular have not been great on the international and draft front, you know, prior to probably three years ago. And on top of that, we're very unlucky. So like when the, when all those factors are coming together, either against you or for you, it makes all the difference. Um, and yeah, you have to factor in some bounce backs like for the Yankees saying, oh, you know, the offense is going to turn it around. Don't worry about it. Like after three months of bad offense, like that's a different story. That is malpractice. That is ignoring a reality. We're going to bang when you have yeah. Willie Calhoun and, yeah. and Billy McKinney. And they're like, Don't worry. We're just going to randomly start hitting with these terrible hitters. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, you won't. Yeah. Projecting that Carlos Rodon and Nestor Cortez will have good seasons is not outlandish. That is... Those things have happened before. Those things are proven. And I understand that there's still work to be done, but that's not out of the realm of possibility. You saying, oh, you know, the the worst offense in the league besides the A's and the Royals, um, we really see a considerable turnaround um, that's going to propel this team for the second half and and hopefully ride a a deep playoff run with us not making any moves at the trade deadline. That is delusional. And that's a complete separate way of thinking than kind of what we're talking about right now. So I know it sounds like we've drank the Kool-Aid, but um, we're just trying to be a little bit more nuanced in the the discussion here because those two ways of thinking are very different. 
and, and they're in fact the opposite of kind of what we're I, I see how that you could view them as a parallel because they, they are similar in terms of consistency with what the Yankees have tried to do to make up for shortcomings in the past but I don't think that's that's what it is this time around and I'm never going to say they shouldn't have done the Juan Soto trade at, at almost no, all costs. Never. At almost all costs, yeah. I do that trade. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But I can't get on Brian Cashman for pulling. I wish I would have loved to have kept one of those guys out of the package. They couldn't do it. That's fine. Get Juan Soto. Worry about it later. You, you got pitchers. Yeah. Um, and right before we sign off, I see some comments about Shane Bieber. I think the elbow is worse than we know. I think the Yankees would have pulled off a Shane Bieber trade already if he his medicals were sound and if Cleveland was shopping him but keep an eye on the deadline and keep an eye on Tristan McKenzie yeah lifelong Yankee fan more control more of a Cashman special unrealized potential and uh check out 2022 stats if you don't believe us that he's worthwhile um 11 and 11 296 ERA in 31 games 30 starts 191 and a third innings, 190 Ks, 138 hits allowed. 127 ERA plus, 0.951 whip as a 24-year-old. Okay. Unbelievable okay. season. That's uh that's my guy. That's that's my guy. If you wanna you want somebody to live up to that legacy, uh that CC Sabathia legacy, uh you want someone to slide in, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I love that. I, I love getting lifelong Yankee fans when I can. I obviously want to see what he does this year. I want to see if he can come back. I want to see where he's at health-wise. But uh, he's under control through 2026. So two and a half years, Cleveland. Um, two and a half years, maybe do it in the offseason. Maybe it's two. Like, that's somebody I've been looking at for a long time. And that's let's recalibrate. Let's, let's see what we can do there. Yeah, um, that would be sweet. Um, I'm thinking that we might have to target people with actual salaries because uh, I don't think many teams, you, I think it's possible, but not too many teams are going to be willing to surrender controllable assets unless they're getting something really, really good in return. Um, and again, the Yankees are kind of stingy on that front. So um, I am wondering, I'm merely wondering if things go really south for the Padres, if Joe Musgrove will be available. Mm -hmm. um, and the only reason I'm wondering that is because he's already heading into age, his age 31 season. They're having supposed cash flow problems. Um, I don't know what the situation is going to look like for them. If everything comes, the Padres could be very good. They still have a talented roster. Um, I think people might be overlooking them a little bit because they've had so much turmoil. Um, but you look at Musgrove, he's making 20 million a year for the next four years. Um, it's worth wondering. And if you get them at the deadline, you're inheriting anywhere between eight and $10 million. That's probably worth it for the Yankees to pay the tax this year. I'd pay $20 million for a half year, Joe Musgrove, if he's going to make all the difference in the rotation. Um, so keep a close eye on that. I don't know what's going to happen with the Padres. They could be wildcard contenders. They could be another dumpster fire. Remember Manny Machado is dealing with a little bit of an injury. Xander Bogarts has a lot of pressure on him to, Rebound in year two. Uh, Fernando Tatis keeps getting jerked around in the outfield. I like. I don't know what is what what's going to be happening with him. Jake Cronenworth needs a rebound. Um, if they trade Hassan Kim, that kind of changes the the entire complexion of their infield. So you got to look at these teams in flux that have these assets, the these high paid assets on the books. Those are going to be the ones to target, in my opinion. So um, and the Yankees previously tried to target Musgrove. Was that right? Like they were in on it, and then they were like, "Ah, eh, fuck it, we'll go with." They went with Tyone instead. Yeah. Um, so this could be a, a little bit of a rebound for them if if he becomes available. I love that. It would have been easier if you were still on the Pirates. Considering it would have been a lot easier. All we do is trade for Pirates, but it's a good idea. Uh, well, thanks for sticking with us. We will be right back here Thursday, 2 o'clock Eastern, like always. Talking about some off-season developments probably, but it's good to get holistic as pitchers and catchers are coming, man. And this season's almost underway. Uh, we can't wait. We need it. We got to talk about the games. Uh, make sure to join us in the Discord if you want to join the community. Uh, we'd love to have you by the time the regular season rolls around or spring training. Again, we're going to be active all year. We thank everyone for getting us to this point and all our commenters. Shout out to the comment section. Way more pleasant today. Hey guys. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Adam Weiner. Uh, that's uh, the platform that used to be known as X, I believe. Some people call it X. Um, and Tom Scaranate, where can the people find you? I am at Tommy's underscore takes. Um, 
We are at the official Yanksco Yard Twitter account at Yanksco Yard FS. We are our bylines are at yanksgoyard.com. Please come and read. A lot of you are. We appreciate it. We appreciate you coming here and listening and having fun with us. Um, as for Devin Williams, we'll end on this. He's gonna cost a lot. The Brewers signed him through his final two arbitration years. Um, again, Yankees, that would be worth the price because financially it would be a good move, but that's gonna cost a lot of prospects. Um, that's arguably a top three reliever in the sport. And am I am I crazy to say that? No, not crazy. I think that's I think that's probably reasonable. A top three reliever in the sport. Um, it would be nice, uh, maybe at the deadline if things uh, change a little bit. But right now, that'll be tough to pull off. Um, thanks for all your questions and uh, learn it insight. We're we're trying to dissect all this. We're having fun while we're doing it. Um, appreciate you guys. Uh, we'll see you again on Thursday, two p.m. Eastern, live right here. Can't wait to see what happens. Crazy Monday today. Hopefully, have we have an equally crazy Thursday. Crazy. Monday. And it's just Caleb Ferguson o'clock. We will see everybody on Thursday. Thanks for joining us. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.